In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, if you've been looking up here these past couple of weeks, and you've been looking at our wonderful Advent wreath, and you've noticed something kind of out of place, you look around and you say, okay, this one matches the color of the season, this one matches, but that one doesn't match, you are one smart cookie. You're asking the right questions. The pink candle, or rose, I'm told, rose color, well, it looks pink to me, but rose colored candle is a reminder to take time this season to do something very important. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. I find this so fascinating whenever it comes to how the church calendar and the observance of the different festival seasons came together over the you know, hundreds of centuries of the church. What was happening is you had these penitential seasons like Advent and Lent. And what was happening is that the people were really great at being penitential and sad and somber over their sins so that the church said, you know what? There's too much of this going on we got to kick something right smack dab in the middle of the season to remind people to rejoice. So it's the same with Advent as it is with Lent. There's this Sunday right in the middle of it that reminds us of this important Christian virtue. We rejoice because we know that the Christ child is coming on Christmas Day to bring us the love of God wrapped in human flesh, the forgiveness of all of our sins. We heard from our epistle lesson this morning, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. St. Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Does that sound optional to you? It's not an option. It's a command. It's an order, not a suggestion. But... It's a rather difficult one, given everything that's going on in our lives, isn't it? There's the busyness and the chaos of this season. There's that financial stress that comes with purchasing gifts. Not to mention the stress of traveling hither and yon, as my grandpa would say. It's also stressful, and that's just the good stuff, right? That's the fun stuff that threatens to steal our joy and takes our minds off the one thing needful. What about the hard stuff? The time of Christmas for many is not a time of rejoicing, but one of heartbreak, sadness. Sadness mourning for those who are not present. Whether it's through our human relationships, Another year goes by for you, and you find yourself struggling with the same sins over and over again, those ones that you swore that you would break free from the last year, you're struggling with the same ones. They're clinging to you, and you're wondering if you're ever going to be free of them. Meanwhile, the shame and the guilt keep stacking up into this mountain of ash. God calls us to rejoice amid that. And we say, easier said than done. The words of Psalm 137 ring true. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The exiles were wondering that. How can we rejoice when we're here in Babylon? Matter of fact, by the waters of Babylon, we're, we're doing nothing but weeping. 
How shall we rejoice? How shall we sing the Lord's song? The Babylonian exiles wouldn't have had much cause to rejoice. But God does not lay that expectation upon us without fulfilling it and bringing it to us as a gift. Through Jesus, he takes our clothing of mourning and grief and he promises to dress us in something better. The clothing of gladness, the robe of righteousness. And I'm not just talking theoretical today. I'm not just talking in a symbolic way. I'm going to tell you exactly how God has done that very thing for you in Christ. And how this is true of you today. And therefore you have cause for rejoicing. See, these promises were not just for those so long ago who endured that 70 years of hard service and exile in Babylon. This promise isn't just for them. It's for you today. It's for you who are crushed by the law this season. It's for you who are clothed in ashes, you who are ashamed of your own sins, broken and weighed down by the hard circumstances of this life. Isaiah 61 gives you something to grab hold of today. To grab hold of as an anchor amid your weariness, amid your sorrow and your mourning. Gives you a reason for rejoicing. So here's the main point of our passage today, and it comes to us in two parts. Jesus is the anointed servant Messiah, through whom the promise-keeping God clothes us in the garments of salvation. Jesus is the anointed servant Messiah, through whom the promise-keeping God clothes us in the garments of salvation. First, Jesus is the anointed servant Messiah. In the Old Testament, God's people did not enjoy the benefit of the enduring presence of the Spirit. That would not be a reality until the day of Pentecost. In those days, the Spirit of God would come upon someone, or oftentimes fresh upon someone, to authorize them for a particular task. For example, we hear that the Spirit of God rested upon Moses to perform the task of speaking prophetically for God, but that spirit was taken and was placed upon 70 of the elders, those dudes who were going to help him out with his ministry. But in that case, book numbers said that they did not continue to speak for God. They did not continue to prophesy. And it left Moses wondering, oh, well, when is that going to happen? I wish that all of God's people would be able to do this. We hear of how the Spirit of God came upon the warriors and the judges of old to rescue God's people especially in the book of Judges. We hear how God's Spirit was given to King Saul to rule God's people, but that the Spirit would ultimately depart from Saul for a long-continued season of unrepentance. Chapter 61 of Isaiah begins, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Here comes the anointed one. The anointed one authorized by God through the giving of the Holy Spirit to perform something new. If you ever read through the book of Isaiah, there's, there's two threads running throughout this book. There's this idea of the servant 
God's servant who would come and, and step in for his, his uh, wayward servant, Israel. There's the servant, capital S. And there's also the Messiah, right? God's promised anointed king who would come and rule the nations. There's those two threats. And throughout the book of Isaiah, they are kept separate and distinct from one another. But whenever you get to Isaiah 61, now they are brought together. They are brought together. The servant of Yahweh is the Messiah. The anointed one of God, the ruler of the nations, is the servant of all. And what is he authorized to do? Bring good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Unbinding of the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. This servant alone has the spirit-empowered authority to bring all these gifts about through his proclamation because his words are not empty words. His words deliver what they promise. In Luke chapter 4, the Lord Jesus Christ himself chose this as his sermon text. He stood up in the synagogue to preach and it says he unrolled the scroll. Can you imagine how that process must have looked, right? Book of Isaiah, it's a doorstopper of a book. You got a huge scroll, and he's unrolling it, and then he finds the place where it says this The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He is anointed to bring good news to the Lord. He reads that passage, and then you know how he preaches it? Here's what he says Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the anointed one that Isaiah was talking about. I am the one who has come to authoritatively bring this good news to bear in the lives of my hearers. Now at first, as you and I would be, his hearers were pretty intrigued. But then they started to think about it and then they doubted that this son of a carpenter could be the fulfillment. They doubted that this son of Mary, son of Joseph, that this Nazarene, that it could be uh, the one who fit the bill. And after hearing more of Jesus' words, they got so ticked that they tried to throw him off a cliff. Hopefully you will not do that to me today. But this unbelieving world in our own sinful flesh would have us believe that Jesus was a friend. Our own sinful flesh and the unbelieving world would have us believe that Jesus is not who he said he is. And what a pity that would be. St. Paul says that if Christ was not raised, then we should hope only in this life, and therefore the world should feel sorry for us. So how do we know that he is the servant of Messiah? It's one thing for him to stand up and preach it, quite another for him to demonstrate it, isn't it? In our gospel reading today, we hear John the Baptist arguing with the Pharisees. Surprise, surprise. He's arguing with them about his own identity. You know, they're questioning, why are you doing these things? He knew that the one coming after him would not only have the Holy Spirit, but would give the Holy Spirit. This one coming, John could not hold a candle to. He was not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. And then what happened? John got to see his words come to their fruition. And Jesus stepped down into those waters. 
In Luke's account, we hear of Jesus' baptism and how the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. John the Baptist got to witness. He got to hear with his own ears. God the Father, speak from heaven. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And John's testimony still speaks to us today. Calling us to repent of our sins. Calling us to faith in this servant Messiah who stepped into the Jordan to be the anointed one of God. Later, whenever John was nearing his end, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one to come or if they should look for another. But John the Baptist was in prison. John the Baptist was about to lose his head, so he sends a contingent of his followers over there to ask Jesus a final question. There's some debate about that passage as to whether John was needing comfort from his Savior before he lost his head, or whether John knew that he was indeed the Messiah and he was just sending his followers to ask Jesus himself. There's some debate. Here's the main point. The point is the answer that Jesus gave. Go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, all that stuff from Isaiah, that's what you've seen me doing. You've seen it yourself. Jesus is the anointed servant Messiah, as attested by his words and his works. Now, He's the anointed servant Messiah, through whom the promise-keeping God clothes us in the garments of salvation. In verse 8 of our Old Testament reading, we hear of God's promise-making and his promise-keeping. I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will joyfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. God is not talking here about the robbery and the wrongdoing of sinners. He's talking about how it would not do for him to rob his own people of what they have coming to him, what they have coming to them. He was not going to rob them of the promises that he had made. He would give to them what he owes them. Here it is. Verse 9, Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. What's he talking about there? He is going all the way back to the promise that he made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. He is saying that he will fulfill his promise to bring blessing and salvation to all nations of the earth through the seed of Abraham. God's still going to fulfill that promise, is what he's saying in Isaiah 61. And here's what scripture says about those gifts, those promises. They are cause for rejoicing throughout the whole earth, especially among God's people. Psalm 105 tells us all about it. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Who is called to rejoice? Verse 5. O offspring of Abraham, his servant. Children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Rejoice. Because God is in the business of promise-making and promise-keeping. He's going to do it. As 
St. Paul said in our epistle lesson, he will surely do it. Now, who are you? Jesus has said that you are true sons of Abraham because you've been set free by him. Remember, Jesus is the anointed servant Messiah. Whatever his word says, he is authorized by God to make it so. And this is what Jesus has said of you. That you are sons of Abraham by faith. You've been set free. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. The words of Jesus are not empty words, but they deliver what they promise to you. He alone has the authority to grant you liberty from your sins and to bring you into the Lord's favor. He is the promised seed of Abraham through whom we receive the blessings of salvation that God has promised he will never deprive us of. If God were to, to deprive you of those blessings, it would be like him robbing you, and he has said that he will not do that. He is the one who has come to make us offspring of Abraham by faith, children of rejoicing and laughter. He's the one who has come to rebuild the walls of Zion. And what he means by that is this new people who cling to God's word by faith as he establishes the presence of God amid his people forever. Jeremiah had similar promises for God's people in exile. And it's a passage that we hear often during the season of Advent when he spoke of the rebuilding of Zion. Here's what he said. He said, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. We're going to practice that during Advent midweek, all right? <coughs> Jesus has come to be your righteousness. He has come to be your clothing. At his incarnation, he broke into a world that was under the curse of sin and sorrow, and he brought about its liberation by carrying its curse all the way to the cross. There, the suffering servant Messiah, God's anointed, brought upon himself the vengeance of our God so that we who were buried under the ash of condemnation would be clothed forever with the garments of salvation, his own righteousness, his own perfect standing before God. He has gift-wrapped this righteousness. He has brought it to you on a silver platter. Galatians 3, as many of you as were baptized have put on Christ. In holy baptism, you have become Zion, decked out in the wedding garb of royalty, the clothing of the new creation. And now your mouth is filled with laughter and your tongue with shouts of joy because God has restored your fortunes. When you see this baptismal font, pinch yourself because of who you are as a child of Abraham by faith. In baptism, you've been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. You've been made the true offspring of Abraham. You've been made the fruit of the promise-keeping God. In baptism, you 
have been anointed by the Spirit of God, who has come to rest upon you, not temporarily, but forever, giving you the new birth, sanctifying and keeping you in the true faith. Until that day, you will stand worthy to receive the inheritance that has been kept for you, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So you see, your joy today, your joy this season, doesn't have much to do with your circumstances at all, does it? It has everything to do with the Christ who has come to you, mired in the misery, the brokenness of a fallen world, and has lifted you from the sin, uh, from the sorrow and the despair of your own sins, and has poured upon you the oil of gladness. You, dear Zion, have been close. You don't wear the tattered rags of your own guilt and shame, but you, you wear the regalia of royalty. Your sins are forgiven. Your guilt and shame are removed. You can say with the hymnist, that wonderful hymn, God's own child, I will gladly say it, I am baptized into Christ. You can say with Isaiah, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ear. You wear his righteousness. You wear his sinless perfection. Your servant Messiah alone has authority to proclaim it so and make it so. And he has. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.